Thunder Road Vendetta, Cyberpunk 2077 and Shifting Stones. This is staying in. What's the difference between uh, a Tesco Express and a Tesco Metro? I don't think there is one. And are there any other types of Tesco? Regular Tesco. Vanilla. And then a Tesco for that I don't think they have different names, but I but they do have different facilities. So there's four different types of Tesco store. There's a fifth there's a fifth I can tell you as well, is Sam, there? that won't be on that list. Really? We're not well this is the official Tesco Careers website. Oh okay. there's a fifth. <laughs> Tesco Galactic. Is this, Chris, is this one of those things where people say, like, you're not allowed to drink booze at Disneyland, except for in this one place that only the locals know about? And are you that person who's, like, the local? No, no, no. It's, it's it, it, it technically, gram- grammatically, I am correct. But as, as being part of the official Tesco license, it isn't the fifth one, if that makes sense. Uh, right. The best kind of correct. Okay, yeah. Can we name the four different types of Tesco store? Metro. Correct. You've got your Express. Correct. Superstore. Correct. One left. Regs. Tesco Regs. No. By the way, if you're listening in a country that's not the UK, Tesco is just a supermarket, a convenience store. Yeah. Carry on. Um... um let me let me explain to you how Tesco's defines each one of their stores. So Express is their smallest, launched in 1994, designed for maximum convenience, allowing customers to buy fresh quality food close to home or work. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's a Metro, which is local neighbourhood shopping in predominantly city centre locations. Oh, Tesco okay. Metro customers can choose from a great range of quality food and a small selection of non-food products, providing a convenient shopping experience all under one roof. Right. So it's like um, it's like um, a convenience store essentially. I, th- I think it's important that we we state that we're not sponsored by Tesco. I feel, I feel no, like no. This, this feels very no. ad-like to open the podcast with. Superstore, then, a regular one-stop shops for daily shopping trips. Tesco Superstores provide a fantastic range of food as well as other goods and services, giving customers real choice and value. Yeah. Um, so there's one final one. So you've got your Express, your Metro, your Superstore, and your... Mega. I'll read you the description, okay. see if that helps. Our largest stores really are a destination shopping experience. No, they're not. They offer the greatest choice of products, ranging from daily essentials to electrical and homewares. Hmm. Tesco World. That's what I was thinking, Dan. I was thinking, yeah, Disney World, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, that that kind of (laughs) exponentially growing. Yeah. Tesco, the lost world. (laughs) Tesco, the lost isle. (laughs) Tesco, forbidden kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, you're gonna kick yourself it's just extra uh, oh of course the tesco extra and um, do you know do you want to know the fifth type of tesco i i do okay it is it is a type of music that is a combination of two genres can you guess what they are disco correct come on pete you and i used to listen to this music quite a bit thrash Heavy metal. Funk. Techno. Tesco is techno and disco. Disco. Yep. Right. I'm confused about what we're trying to get at here. 
I'm yeah. really sorry, but I'm very, very lost. Yeah, we're, we're really searching for a punchline here. No, there's no punchline. That is it's an actual genre of music, techno and disco. It's called Tesco. Yeah, yeah no, but what's Tesco got to do with it? No, no, it makes... You can make Tesco out of it. Have you just made up a word and said, look... Have you made up a genre, Chris? What? Have you made up a genre? I've not made it up. It's an actual genre of music. Yeah, what, a genre called Tesco? A genre called Tesco. Do they sell it in Tesco? Oh, my word. This is like a fast-forward when we're recording this podcast in our 60s. Yeah. (laughs) And we're still talking about convenience stores. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It used to be just an extra in my day. And now they've got World, Forbidden Kingdom... So Sam and, I, Sam and I hung out with some friends to play games the other night, which was great yeah, fun. We did. And we played some absolute belters, Sam. I think it was a beautifully curated evening. I think we had a marvellous triple threat of stuff. I'd recently been to London. I don't get to go to London much, but I went with work. And every time I go, every time I go, I use my lunch break to go and visit a uh, a shop called Orcs Nest. Oh, it's such Orcs a good place. Nest. And I picked up a copy of Shifting Stones from Ooh. Game Right Games. Okay. And um, it was between that and a copy of Port Royale. I decided between these two games, which one shall I get? Yeah. And I think the value of going to a place like that was immediately evident because the guy was just like, was just like, well, this is how this one plays and this is how this one plays and and managed to like help me make up my mind very easily. And basically what he said was Shifting Stones is a game about um, matching patterns and at lower play counts, it's a very um, sort of heady, abstract, puzzly experience, but at higher play counts, it's a lot more relaxed and chilled out. And you kind of go with the flow and Port Royale is the completely opposite experience. Like at lower play counts, it's very chilled out. And then at higher play counts, it's very sort of heady and thinky. And I was just like, right, I know exactly which one I want. I want to get Shifting Stones. I've got loads of those games that are five players. You sit there for hours trying to work out what you're trying to do. I don't have many games that actually get more relaxed and chilled the higher play counts you go. And also he said it's a great game for families and for younger people learning to play games so i picked it up brought it back played it with chris absolute banger what a what a treat shifting stones is yeah yeah it reminded me a little bit and i said this in the evening it reminded me a little bit of nova luna which is a game that we both Mm. love um but one that is a little simpler Um, yes i believe is it quan chai mori does the art for it as well um very good artist um very good board game artist and yes um yeah, you've essentially got um, a, um, nine stones in three rows, kind of making like a square. And what you have are a hand of cards. And if the stones or certain numbers of stones of a particular color in the exact configuration on your card, you can score them. However, they're not, you can flip a stone or swap two stones that are next to each other orthogonally. But to do that, the action points are by spending cards. So I, I say I start off with five cards. I spend two to do those moves, and then it's got it into that wonderful position where I can then score the, one of the cards that's left. So there's always this really interesting choice 
as to whether I, what cards I'm going to sacrifice to maneuver the stones. But picking up on the point Sam says about, you know, the rarity of games that are this kind of slight, but with that work really well for higher player count, um, because you've got other people, you know, I had three other people before me, it was quite light. There was no point in me strategizing all the times because the stones could, will, will move by the time it gets around to me. Right. So it was yeah. it was quite nice to have that really, and a friend of ours he managed to score like two cards in one go, um, and yeah. pretty much clinched the game just because of just something another player had done beforehand, which just so by chance helped them. And it was just really, really a really mm. quite nice, uh, very tight game. Yeah, it's lovely, and I can see how when Hugo starts playing a few more games, how it's a really good game to introduce what are quite abstract gaming concepts, but stuff that we are all quite used to. So the idea of sacrificing a card from your hand Mm. to do an action on the board is quite a strange concept, but this introduces it really well. And so that encourages younger players to really think about what cards they need to get rid of in order to score the cards that they think are really important and the other part of the game the only other action that you can do is you can skip a turn to pick up two more cards so that you get six cards which will allow you to do more turns on your next go and understanding that and conceptualizing that for someone who might be younger or not used to board games is a really really good way of like introducing concepts to them and another thing the game that the game does is the person who scores the most one point cards gets a three point bonus at the end of the game so it just has these loads of little ideas in it wrapped up in this like beautiful little package and these simple mechanics shifting stones is not changing the world like this is not concordia it's not agricola nothing like that but the four of us hadn't met up in a while and we could just put it on the table and we were eating pizza, we were eating chips and we are just like, because we didn't have to think between turns, we didn't, didn't have to sit there in silence and really cogitate and strategize. The game just happened and then and then it finished and we all like loved it and even though no one was to blame for anything, we all shouted at each other for moving <laughs> stones around and, you know, like it was all well thought out. And sure. yeah, it was, it was like, I, I have no regrets about about buying that game and the next time that we're all we're all together i'm definitely gonna be chucking that one in the bag because i think it'll be perfect nice um we also played dutch blitz for the first time which is another game that i'll be bringing with me um i've now bought a second deck so now i can play it up to eight people wow. because i convinced it's the best game i've ever played <laughs> Well, no. I I'm, well, I think I'm washing my hair that night. <laughs> oh, it's it is so incredible. So good. We talked about it a little bit last yeah, time. Yeah, but yeah, what yeah, is yeah. it? What is it that for for you, Sam? Because I know what it is with Chris. But what is it for you, Sam, that it does that makes it so like appealing? <sighs> Where to begin? I think that it's a game that very, very quickly shows its pedigree. It's kind of one of those games where, you know, this has been around for for a long, long time. And there's something, I think, quite satisfying about playing a game like that. Like, I, that's just the kind of person that I am. Like, I take a lot of pleasure in playing games that I know that have some sort of legacy and lineage to them. And the fact that it does such an interesting thing with your attention 
it's a bit like the trick that that's not a hat pulls and that it's it feels like it's just enough to keep track of everything that's going on but actually it's just too much right so right because in dutch blitz you have to kind of keep a lookout at the dutch pile in the middle to see what piles are being created where you could maybe like contribute some of your cards to but you're also keeping an eye on your post pile to see again where you might be able to alleviate some cards and move some things around and then you're looking at your wood pile as you're drawing cards because your attention is split across these four different areas it's just too much for you to really comprehend what's going on at one time so every single moment is a surprise is a shock is funny is hilarious is horrifying is tragic is magical is joyous and i think where dutch blitz really began to make sense to me is where i felt like i knew i was losing but i was still having fun yep, that that is it in a nutshell because the moment to moment stuff that you're doing is just it just feels really satisfying feels really poppy and you are happy for you are really happy for the person who manages to get rid of their blitz pile like whenever someone got rid of their blitz pile we're all like how did you how have you done that that's incredible yeah. like how are you doing this right. like this is so difficult and you're doing it and but the thing is is when you manage to do it when you just have like a little you manage to play like a two three card sequence it feels so satisfying because you know of how much it takes to really make everything just work together and and, and for you and yeah it's just like um, yeah, uh, immediately bought myself a second deck because I know that I'm just going to be playing this a lot more and I want to play it with more people than yeah. just four. And I mean, even though that is going to be even more chaos. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's going to be bonkers. And I like I like those card games where you play one round, go, okay, right, it's this. Second round, you're already talking like a seasoned player. You're looking yes. at everyone's right. postcard going, oh, well, look, oh, God, I've not a good hand here. Oh, gosh, look at your hand. Oh, that's, that sucks. That really does. Um, and I love those moments where you kind of oscillate from competing of each other to all of you together against the game. Right. Oh, yes. And, and I think yes. that's something that really comes across from those kinds of folk, um, classic mm. kind of card games. The game I was desperate to play, um, which I bought a copy of like a few days before, was Thunder Road Vendetta. So, if I had to imagine it, mm. I'm imagining <laughs> Mad Max. Yes, very much. I'm imagining ding, ding, ding. deserts, car combat. Yes. Ding, ding, um, ding, dong, ding. I'm imagining miniatures war game? Uh, BGG classes it as a miniatures game. Really? Yes, there, there are Ooh. miniatures cars. There are miniature cars there that you move around from, across but is it, spaces. But is it, are they totemic play pieces or are they miniatures? They're totemic playing pieces. Damn. There Very is not so. a ruler in sight. That's no. a shame. So so what's what's the game about? Because I love car combat games. So first things first, this comes from Restoration Games. And for like the last four or five years, I've I've always wanted to own a Restoration game. So basically, this is a company, and it's really cool. They take classic games from mm. yesteryear and essentially upgrade them, remaster them for a 21st century audience. So they've done games like Downforce, they did yep. Fireball Island, which I nearly bought, and I nearly yep. backed the Kickstarter last year, Crossbows and Catapults. 
which is coming out this year on Kickstarter. They also are the folks, I believe, who do Unmatched. Correct. Is that right? Correct, yes. So, right. So that's kind of two areas of their business, I guess. It's like it's like these remasters of these older games and then Unmatched. So th- this is Thunder Road Vendetta, which is based on an original board game, Thunder Road, which came out in 86, the year, like, you know. Wow. Like, you and I, Pete, were barely one years old at this point. Yeah. I'd never heard of this game beforehand um, from Jim Key for the original, but this is an updated version by um, Brett Myers and Dave Chalker that came out uh, last year. It was a Kickstarter game, which I didn't back at the time. And it's chaos, essentially, in a nutshell. It's a family weight, dice-chucking, racing survival game. And the best way I can describe it, you mentioned Mad Max, but for me it's that moment in Mad Max Fury Road where... All of Immortan Joe's vehicles are chasing Furiosa and Max um, yep. through the desert. Yes. All the cars are barging into each other. Racers are shooting at them whilst they, the, the protagonists are trying to avoid hazards that are in front of them. That is the game in a nutshell. It plays two to four players. Lasts about three quarters of an hour to about an hour and a quarter, depending on your player count. Um, so as players... We essentially are each have a crew of vehicles and we race each other and we fight dirty, trying to be the first to cross the finish line or to be the last car standing. Okay. That's essentially how it plays. Uh, it's a roll and move game, to be honest, really, Pete. It's a roll and move game. And I, I'm not ashamed to say it, I do like a roll and move game. I really do. It gives me that tingling nostalgia of being a child. And there's something quite nice about that sometimes where it is just... I'm just going to trust my fate to a six-sided dice and move that many places across the road here. So imagine that the four of us are playing. Each yeah. of us would have three vehicles in our matching colour and they'd all be in different sizes, small, medium and large. So the small is like a dune buggy and the large is pretty much like a tank. And then we all roll four dice and then we essentially assign one of these to each vehicle and you know, and that is our go. We assign one to a vehicle and that's how far it moves, broadly speaking, along the road. Um, but it's not, as I said before, it's not a racing game. It's really a survival game. It's quite rare to you for you to play a game of this where somebody actually crosses the finish line because more often than not, everyone is just trying to take each other out. And when you're chucking dice, you haven't got a clue where all this is going to go. And the reason why and how people can do that is first they can kind of slam into another car. So if you drive into a space with somebody else's car. You literally put your car on top of theirs and this is called a slam. You slammed into them and you roll two dice and the dice are these lovely chunky dice. So you roll one of the dice determines which car has the effect done to it and then the other dice tells you which direction it goes. Hmm. And you may move it backwards, forwards. You may move it into impassable terrain and if so, it gets removed from the game entirely or it might land on one of the hazard tiles and these are faced down at random points and if, once it lands on there, you've suddenly got a potential kind of knock-on effect where the hazard you may flip might be something that causes it to skid further somewhere else. It might land on a mine and go somewhere else, say, for example. Or you may slam this car and it lands on another car and that causes another slam there entirely. So you've got this incredible kind of chaotic um, mess, essentially, when you've got loads of cars theoretically next to each other um, that can all bump into each other. And also, secondly, did I mention you can shoot each other? So if you end your go behind <laughs> another car, you can roll a dice to shoot them. 
So you're constantly, there's no way you can kind of strategize in this game whatsoever. It is sheer giddy kind of chaos, really. Okay. Um, and I absolutely adore it. I'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan of racing games. Uh, I love a racing game. I don't know why. I just really, really do. And this really does satisfy an itch for me. But also, I really love that kind of wacky races kind of feel that this does have, where anything is possible. And it's just the whim of the dice. And actually, as players, you find yourself, at least personally in my own experience, it's more fun not to try and win the game and be strategic. It is more fun just to do something because it looks cool. Or yeah. if this, if I know, I know chances against me, but what if, what if, how incredible would that be? If, the, if I managed to pull this off, that would be incredible. And I could lose the car, but I'll look good doing it. Yeah. But it's good, it's good, it's good to hear you back, Peter, knowing that you, you didn't, you managed to make it back from your extreme sports uh, oh, yeah. excursions. So, Pete, have you broken your knuckle? Um, I haven't gone to the doctors yet because it's basically sort of just settled down a bit so I just thought I'll just leave it I mean the man's way of dealing with it really is <laughs> yeah 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 deal, I deal with it in the same way that I deal with my feelings I'm gonna just not just, just let them calcify just, just ignore them till they go away yeah until they go away or come out in interesting ways in my late 40s Gordon um, so um so yeah I didn't die um I had a lovely time snowboarding. I fell over many times. Uh, I went down something called a black run. Oh, wonderful. That sounds dangerous. Uh, they are dangerous for are. skiers and sometimes for snowboarders, but um, they're kind of measured for skiers. Uh, so I went down something that was very steep, uh, which was really good fun. Did you mean to? Yeah, uh, the, the instructor that we <laughs> yeah. had, Vladimir, who was amazing, uh, he basically said, he basically said on the final day. So we'd just been on like the what they called like the bunny slopes, um, which are like really really small, shallowy kind of things where you just practice. Um, he just said, "Okay," because <laughs> I will do the accent today. We are going up. Onto the mountain. And I was like, okay, excellent stuff. And, and what part of Sweden is he from? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, honestly, I didn't ask. Yeah, it, yeah, it's odd that he was in Bulgaria. And um, he said, uh, oh, well, you know, you've got to... He said, oh, yeah, we'll go up there. You'll be fine. And uh, we, got, we got on the gondola up to the top of the mountain and uh, they'd already closed one of the gondolas off because of high wind... Uh, high, speed wind conditions oh my and he was like you've got to do this because it will just give you confidence when you're lower down on the mountain <laughs> we're like okay then um and uh, it was great it was really good fun uh, i'm definitely i love snowboarding i've decided i love it and i want to do more of it uh yeah it was good um i'll tell you what though and bulgaria lovely lovely country nice people um one thing i will say that i was a bit disappointed by okay and i'd never had this before maybe this doesn't make it into the podcast did it who knows is you weren't allowed to flush paper down the toilet mm. okay right now i can just say i know this is the first time you've been snowboarding slash skiing that isn't something that is specific to this particular sport no to make it more extreme yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Hence the, I'm oh, sorry, I was going to be very crude, the brown run and the green runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I that was the one thing that I would say dinged Bulgaria <laughs> if, I, if I had to review it. On, that, that was the one thing that was too extreme for people. Honestly, yeah. that I just, I every time I was in the bathroom, I just went, <sighs> like every time, just like, <laughs> this is the line. This is the this line is, I will not cross. Yeah, this is this isn't all right. But other than that, excellent. So does that so does that mean you left more underwear in Bulgaria or less? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great yeah. question. It's a great yeah, question. Where did I leave it? Yeah. So <laughs> it was a special holiday. Did you did you still go with your old underwear? Or did you buy some new fresh stuff? Um, I didn't have any anything. That was holy. Well, he didn't need it, Dan. He, he didn't need it, Dan. He bought that bum pad. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. I bought the bum pad. <laughs> that was a load of old rubbish. So disappointing. But what, what, a, great, what a great story of a great <laughs> trip snowboarding. <laughs> we would all love to go snowboarding in Bulgaria. And you come back to say, Jesus. I couldn't wipe my bum. Yeah. You're just... <laughs> it's just... Like talking to an eight-year-old man. <laughs> I mean, of all the things to fixate on. You've had a wonderful experience. Some some would say life-changing, but all it you're was. bothered about is facilities yeah. and toilets. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't Absolutely. get baked beans though, mind. <laughs> oh, baked beans were three pound a can. <laughs> so I've been playing Cyberpunk. Oh, right. Which one? Twenty seventy-seven. You know. I missed the first uh, 2076. I thought this is the one. This is where I jump on board. So how many hours have you sunk into this, Dan, roughly? I've sunk in a lot of hours. I, I, I got this back in October time, like when they did the um, kind of the big patch that kind of they released a new period of DLC, kind of mm. did the big patch that fixed a lot of the issues because obviously yeah. it's a, it was a very storied kind of, launch and very problematic and i just kind of steer cleared of that whatsoever but then kind of the patch came out i thought oh, i'll give it a go um so since then i've i've plugged in about 50 odd hours into Jeez. it okay this is going to sound like such a basic question dan and i'm sure people yeah. are going to roll their eyes but like i know it's an rpg and i know it's open world but how does it play like is it like elder scrolls is it like i don't know assassin's creed but more rpge like what like, where does it actually how does it play well actually i'd got like i'd found that i'd been playing quite a lot of over time like relatively open world games whether that's things like um horizon Forbidden West uh, is quite open world. Even stuff like God of War Ragnarok is is quite open world. And I was kind of playing them. I was getting a little bit burnt out on them. And I tried um, the next kind of game that was on my list that I wanted to play was uh, Ghost of Tsushima. And I think that was kind of, not that it was a bad game, because it wasn't, and it's beautiful and it's lovely, but it was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back of like, I was sure. tired of just doing games where you're just traveling through kind of an empty world from A to B to do a task and then go from A to B again and then you do a slightly different but relatively the same task. Mm -hmm. I was kind of a just, you know what, I'm just kind of done with it for a while. But then the, kind of the patch came out and I was like, this might be a bit different. I'll, I'll give this a go. I'd, I'd, I'd found a good deal on it, so I, I bought that. And very quickly, 
I realized that the issue with the games that I've been playing was that element of kind of sparsely de- sparsely populated environments. So as beautiful as Ghost of Tsushima is, and it is a beautiful game, when you're on your horse and you're going through kind of the, the fields as the wind blows, and it is all stunning, there's, I was kind of, I was, I wanted more in terms of kind of the the environment around me to be more dynamic other than kind of the, the looks and beautiful, other than kind of the, the looks and that kind of aesthetic. Um, so when I started with Cyberpunk, the first thing I thought, and it took me straight back to probably the game that um, probably got me more into RPGs, which is GTA V, and I'd never really played any GTA games prior to that. But mm. when I started Cyberpunk, the the overwhelming sense was this is a world that is alive. Um, yes, it's it's a really well constructed kind of environment design wise. This whole kind of steampunk Japanese kind of neon Tokyo aesthetic is works really well. But the world just seems alive. And as I was playing it, the 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 callbacks I was getting was to things like GTA, which for me, uh, GTA is mm. not a game for everyone. For me. That was a game that I really got on board with, so I really enjoyed how that how that kind of handled the play, and that was what it reminded me of more than anything. Whether it's you, I always know in a kind of a world, an open world game, if you are if you naturally want to obey the rules of the world. So with Cyberpunk, I find myself when I'm driving around, I don't steal cars. I've got my own car that I drive. I drive on the right side of the road. I try and slow down. All that stuff. Yep. When you want to do that, you know, okay, the game has got me. This world has got me. What was interesting for me is because I've I've kind of been wanting to talk about this game for quite a while on the podcast. And like, peek behind the curtain, we kind of put some subjects for different episodes as to what we want to talk about. And Cyberpunk has been on the list for several episodes in the past and for whatever reason I've talked about something else or we haven't had enough time and it's just never kind of got through and what's interesting is that each point I've actually had a different opinion of the game the more I've played it huh. because like when I first started playing it it was very much of like this world is beautiful amazing this kind of I really like what it's doing there are some issues there are kind of as I say that whole thing of like your first interaction kind of with females it's like it's, it's a little problematic and I'm like there's some very much kind of adult themes and adult, um, very dark kind of story aspects that are part of this world. So the idea of kind of prostitution and stuff is there, but there's a lot more of kind of those kind of things happening in people's minds and using kind of memory for kind of more insidious purposes. And that, at times, that gets very dark and will absolutely kind of put some people off. And it mm. does, as a player, you kind of take a step back and say, okay... I'm now questioning should this should this kind of content not content sorry should this kind of theme these kind of ideas be in what is an entertainment kind of thing because it is play it is a, it's supposed to be a fun game it's not supposed to be kind of when you watch a film it's supposed to be kind of an in-depth look at a serious topic you're in a game where oh I'm now going to go and do something fun I'm going to go steal a car and I'm going to go steal a AI taxi or something like that all these different there are much more fun things to do in the game. So when you have these really dark, really dark mm. scenarios, that becomes problematic. So I started off kind of really enjoying it. And then that kind of progressed. And actually, I was starting to really like the storylines and some really interesting characters. And the way it was telling its story was really good. 
And then kind of really weirdly early on, I got to a point where, I say weirdly early on, probably about 20 hours in. And I say weirdly mm. early on because for an open world game, you expect it to be a long game. But sure. I think about 20 hours in, I was kind of, I got to a point where it stops you and says, okay, this is basically an end point of the game. So don't go any further if you want to do other stuff. And I was like, oh. It's actually a relatively short game. Really? Yeah, if you just if you blitz through the main game, it's about 20 hours. Wow. But but at that point, I realised, but I also realised at that point that there was loads of stuff I hadn't done. There were some characters who I really liked who I'd not really explored all that much. So I was like, you know what? I've And I've, I've not gone past that point yet. So I took a step back and then started to engage some of the other storylines, which again, I liked, but it, then it started to become what a lot of RPGs are, became a bit grindy. And suddenly I started to pick up on some of the things that bother me with some more in-depth RPGs where in Cyberpunk, you have your level, your standard leveling up system where you've got, I think, six or seven standard kind of skills. Within the, within each of those, you then have perk trees and you've got a huge amount of options for perks that you can build up. On top of that, you've also got all your weapons upgrades that you can do and mm. build up throughout the game. There's loads of customization with that. And then on top of that, you've also got all your um, modifications to your kind of your body and all these different skills you can have to every single part of your body. And suddenly I realize I am completely overwhelmed by all mm. of these. And so I'm not taking advantage of them. And so it became a grinding thing of, let me just get some money so I can, I've bought all the cars, I've bought all the apartments that I want and all that stuff. And so it's kind of just taken me a, a real kind of up and down thing. And I've got to the point now where I'm I'm happy with how the storyline has progressed in terms of some of the, they're not peripheral characters because they are main characters, but some of the um, kind of the characters and they're not central to the main story. I'm happy with how that's all played out. And so I'm getting to the point now where I'm like, okay, I'm going to step back in and I'm ready to finish that story. So I'm at a point now where I'm kind of, I've kind of mellowed on the highs of it, hmm. but I'm quite happy to kind of, it's, an, it's a nice kind of rhythm to kind of end towards the game now. That's kind of where I am now. So it's been a real kind of peaks and troughs as to how this game has played. It's been really interesting knowing that I've going to talk about this, I've, got, I've been trying to talk about this for a number of months and every single time I've had a different view on it. Hmm. Sam, do you see yourself in any any of those avenues that I've gone through? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I think I've had a completely different relationship with the game. Hmm. So, where to start? I think for me, the tonal stuff and the darkness of the story is something that I've actually really appreciated from the game and I've actually really appreciated playing an entertainment property that's treated me like an adult okay and and whereas something like GTA 5 is 18 because it's goofy and there's guns and there's cars and you can run people over uh, cyberpunk is 18 because of its thematic content and the stories that it's trying to tell rather than necessarily what you can do um, as a criminal or as a as a person in an open world. Um, and I think that even though I found some of that subject matter really hard to, um, to deal with, 
I've found it. I've really appreciated it as an as a audience member that it's in there and they are brave enough to tackle it and they are tackling it in how I feel is actually quite a interesting and mature way. Interesting. And I and I and I really like that. I think it it, it makes the game quite difficult to pick up sometimes because it's kind of like what, you, what am I in for? What am I in for this time? Which makes some of the downtime activities quite pleasurable to to take uh, to take in because they are slightly on the lighter side, which gives a bit of that light and shade to to the to the things that you're doing. But what I will also say is that boy, does it really like pull the narrative along and really give you some narrative heft to get involved and to really delve right deeply into the story hmm. um because the topics and the nature of the story is just handled in such an adult manner that as a character it makes it very very easy to to just throw your all into it and be like right i am in this now i'm going on this journey i am committing to a 100 percent because they're committing 100 percent to telling to telling the story hmm. so i so i found that really really satisfying and i think the other thing that um i really appreciate about the game and i think is where it really hits for me is that you're not at the center of the story the story is happening around you and you're just caught up in the middle of it so rather than something like witcher or gta 5 or um even ghost of shishima where you are or god of war where you are the center of the story you are the powerful being in the middle of it here in cyberpunk you are caught up in a in, in something that's much larger than you and you're just trying to find your way your way through it for whatever motivation whether that's vengeance or revengeance um uh, justice or making money or whatever but you are not the protagonist in this story you are just trying to claw from one bit of information to the next to try and make sense about what's going on and i really like that that I feel at times like I'm like I'm viewing something rather than experiencing something. And I quite like the fact that as a player, like people aren't relying on me to solve their problems for them, really. Like I am just if if I can if I don't get the job done, they'll just pay someone else to do it. Like it's not That is you know, very much cyberpunk the rpg that this was yes. based on as in the tabletop role-playing game like it is very much mm -hmm. about in the same vein as uh, something like a shadow run or a cyborg or something like that it, a lot of those cyberpunk rpgs do lean on the cyberpunk literature topics of people just trying to get by and mega corporations and huge governments being so monolithic that your ability to influence the world is limited like that mm -hmm. is thematic to the cyberpunk theme does it do you happen to know whether or not obviously obviously dan you've been playing on playstation uh sam have you been playing on deck I have been playing on the Steam because it it used to not run particularly well on deck. Does mm -hmm. it work okay now? Oh, it runs really well. What thirty frames a second? Some dips on low settings. Is that what it's <laughs> like? Like, or um, no? It's even got a Steam Deck preset. Really? I think the Steam Deck makes it a 
a very very different experience where i do just like pick it up for 20 minute bursts at work um and then put it back down again and then i have some longer sessions where i do some story content okay and but yeah it's it makes it for me it's made it a really accessible being able to play it and engage with it and for it to look as good and to feel as great playing it as it does on the steam deck um just going back to other things you said Dan, I think that the um, the skill trees and the perk system is also where it really, really screams its RPG roots. Mm. And the ability that you're able to really excel in certain specific areas and really min-max your character to kind of make it what you want it to be. Like, you can just be someone who's got the gift of the gab or you can just be someone who um, is just a incredible gun runner or someone like me who has put all their points into um, into net running and basically I don't engage anyone with guns I just hack into everybody and that's how I solve that's how I deal with fights is I just hack my way out and um, so and I think that it's daunting, but once you figure out what your particular style of play is, you can. Fi- I just filter out everything I don't want. Like I filter out all the stealth stuff. I filter out everything. I just concentrate on on what I want. And so I th- I think like like that level of detail is what really makes this RPG sing. And it does feel at times a lot more like a CRPG than just a video game RPG because it sure, yeah. you, you at times you're really able to do certain actions just depending on the stats that you've got mm. and how you will effectively roll in that situation. That's cool. I think it's great. I think it really is a, a great, a great piece of work, piece of work. Just, just on the kind of the 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 looks of it as well. You know how when you see kind of these kind of games kind of trailered and you see gameplay trailer and it looks so smooth and stunning and the lighting and all that stuff and it always looks great and I always kind of think, yeah, that looks amazing, that looks stunning. It's never going to actually look like that on my TV, and it rarely ever does. I did, I. Typically, you could obviously, as as usual with a PS5, usually you have the options of kind of um, a performance mode of like 60 frames a second or fidelity, um, which is 30 frames, but kind of really high res with ray tracing. Um, usually I put it on performance, um, but I okay. not yeah. too long ago, I, so I flipped it over to the fidelity mode because generally I can't often tell the difference between 60 frames and 30 frames a lot of the time. So I just thought I'll stick it on that. You noob. Yeah, well. Is what it is. My eyes work the way they work. Dan, Dan, you know what? I'm with you. Pete, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I can tell when 30 frames dips, but 30 and 60, I can see the difference. I just don't care. Yeah. So I thought I'd flip it onto Fidelity with my ray tracing, all that jazz. Yeah. And I say walk around, suddenly I had that sense of this feels like I'm watching, I know I'm being a child, this feels like I'm watching the demo that they show at E3 or that's cool. whatever it is now. Like, and I was like, wow, that like genuinely that's quite astonishing. Cause I'm not used to actually getting that, but I was walking through and it felt smooth and it felt beautiful and the light and the kind of reflections off the ground, the windows, anything like that. It is an absolutely stunning looking game. 
I talked about the hex a little while back. You did. I went and played it. Did you like it? I thought that it's not the best game from Daniel Mullins. And I think it was narrow casting. But it was a good game. Narrow casting? Made for a very, very specific niche audience. Oh, 100%. Um, The way that I've seen the hex described is it's the game he had to make before he made Pony Island and he had to make Pony Island before he made Inscription. And I just finished Inscription and now I totally get it. I'm really interested in this, Pete. Now, I could be wrong, but I came across this game a while ago and what piqued my interest with it was that it it kind of... There's something of an escape room quality about this game. Is that correct? Right. So... There is only so much that Sam and I will tell you about this game. Okay. <laughs> because if we tell you anything more about it than what we're going to talk mm-hmm. to you about it, it will ruin it. Okay. But, yes, it does have some of that to it. But it is, it is ostensibly a card game. So this is something like a, a Hearthstone or a Pokemon, or a Magic, or one of those things. But, Dan, I see those eyes rolling. Um, It is initially more straightforward than that. There are only two key stats to begin with. One is um, uh, the essentially the, uh, the ability to do damage and the ability to receive damage. Um, you play cards onto a grid of usually you know three or four spaces and your you can see your opponent's cards coming as to what it is that will be entering the battlefield and so part of the skill is figuring out what's coming up and then what do you have access to what then follows and the game begins to evolve is the mechanics become more Not complicated, but complex. So there's more complexity added. And that evolves over time as you play the game. And it is also a roguelite in that when you play the game, you have a deck of cards. And that deck of cards changes when you end your run unsuccessfully. And you are also able to, like the best roguelites, I would say, you are also able to manipulate things about the deck and know things in advance when you finish your uh, run. So you know those things for the next time that you play. The conceit is that you are playing an opponent in a space... And then beyond that, yes, there is a, a, you are physically in the space as well, and there is a escape room-esque feel to some of those bits. And that is deliberately everything the game shows in its trailers on Steam and all of its like upfront marketing materials and all of that sort of stuff. But that is not the entire game. And you have to play that game to see where that game goes. Like... And where that game goes is what would happen 
if Dan Mullins was given the budget by Devolver Digital to make the game that he's been making twice already before. It's phenomenal. Like, phenomenal. Um, to the point that even if you don't like card games, they're not... That's not a reason to not play this. Like, it, the, the way that it talks about what video games are is worth the experience. Um, it's about 15 hours long. Um, shorter if you're better, longer if you're worse. Um, again, without going into too much on it, Sam, like, I don't know, but this this really lingered with me. Like, this has sat with me for a while since I've I finished it. Yeah. Uh, I think I had a bit more of an up and down relationship with it. Okay. I mean, I I generally have this feeling when I play Daniel Mullins games that the first sort of half of it I really dig and then the second half of it for me tends to lose a little bit of steam and I can lose a little bit of interest sure. in it. Like once I realise, oh, this is what, yeah, okay, this is what we're doing, then I kind of not lose interest because I really enjoyed the hex and I really enjoyed Inscription and I think Inscription is the best of his oh, game yeah. so far. Yeah. And I, you know, I've wishlist Pony Island 2 and I will be getting that when it's when it's out, no doubt. Because I think that his ideas and his design are just too interesting to ignore. But for me, I enjoyed Act 1 probably more than much of the other parts of the game. Like that that whole escape roomy vibe mm-hmm. and like I think Dan the best way to sort of describe what type of game this is is you start off playing on this table in front of an opponent learning how to play a card game and then quite by accident I realized that I could stand up and walk away from the table and I was like oh and I could explore and walk around the room in which this game was yeah. game was happening. And for someone who's very used to how here's how the Slay the Spire works, here how Hearthstone works, where you or here's how Magic the Gathering works on computers, where you just here's a mystical environment where you play your cards and you know you're interacting just with the cards and the space in front of you. The moment where you just go, oh, I can I can get up, I can walk around and look at things and interact with things and there's the guy I'm playing just sitting up sitting in a chair and watching me walk around and like that was just mind-boggling and the the feeling that that gave me was never I don't think that ever really reached that kind of heights for me in the rest of the game there's some bits that I found really interesting and I found really thoughtful and thought-provoking, but that initial, like, oh my, I can get up, I can walk around, like, yeah, that that was incredible. And the actual, you know, the card game at that moment, like, I got really good mm. at it. <laughs> I got really yeah. good at that card game, that sort of base base version of it. I, I think it's been fairly well documented that I'm kind of not a fan of kind of deck-building games, like, over the the many episodes we've done many have many but deck building games have come and many deck building games have gone and yet i am 
I'm yet to hop on that train. Um, I've I've obviously not played this this game, and I have kind of watched some videos of kind of that tutorial section, that that early portion of the game, and the kind of the takeaway that the, that it, that does attract me is, um, and you've kind of you have kind of touched on it as well, is the idea of it being a deck building game, but it's that meta element of there is a story yeah. around the no not there's not a story about what's on the cards like your Hearthstone, like your all this stuff. No, wait, I see that look in your eye, Pete. Let me finish my statement and then you can interrupt. Um, unlike kind of the the story that comes from the characters on the cards um, through various other kind of deck building games, the story that's coming through this is a is more to do with the player to the card dynamic, which feels a weird thing to say. That kind of the relationship between the player and the card, um, as opposed to the relationship between the cards to each other. That's that's that, 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 I mean, on, this is praise from me. I'm I'm praising the fact no, that I find is, that to no, be really interesting. That that is that is coming at this this type of game from a different perspective and bringing something new to it to say, okay, you know what deck building games are. Here's a here's an element that you've not thought of before. Of like, what if the cards interacted with you? You are right. And stop. Yeah, you are right in that it does also bring that additional view. Um, so. So the the thing that I find most interesting about it is that collectible card games, for example, the, the, the main thing about collectible card games is, and we've talked about this, I think, a couple of episodes back, the where the complexity comes from is not in the standard mechanics of the card game. They are usually actually pretty straightforward. The complexity comes from the rules that are broken by the individual cards. So how the rules are changed by the individual cards. And what Inscription does is it says, well, games like Magic and Locana and all of these sorts of things, they break all the rules on the cards, but they still, they still keep the player's attention focused in this one space. There's nothing you can do to break the, the rule of the, the sort of, I guess, gamic rule of the play is happening in this space whereas what inscription does is it says nah we're going to break that rule and that actually you can the 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 play can also be broken away from the table right I so like rather, this. Than the, rather than the cards just be the thing that break the rules it's also other things that are outside of the game of cards that can break the rules and what it does is it adds this new layer to the critique it isn't just a, about what Dan Mullins talks about a lot which is critiquing video games as a medium he he then goes on to essentially critique card games as a medium and that is extremely powerful i have to agree with you sam like some of the best creatives in the field, I think this designer could have used an editor because I feel like, and, and this happens a lot in video games, I feel like they could have cut about a third of the time off this game and made it a punchier, more impactful statement. And I get it, like, this mm. is this is Devolver. Like, they they know their craft better than I do, right? Like, that's that's fine, obviously. And some clearly someone somewhere went, this game needs to be longer, 
right? Or this was this is my vision for the game and it has to be this long or whatever. But actually, I feel like they could have cut a third, maybe a quarter off of off of the game's time and it would have been more impactful, more like jam-packed with what's actually the most interesting stuff in the game. Um, but I think that if you're interested in tabletop games and card games, if you're interested in storytelling, if you're interested in video games, and if you're interested in... I'm sure there's some fancy word Chris knows where like where mediums critique themselves. Uh, I mean, self-referential, um, metatextual. Yeah, like I guess like metatextual, like postmodern. I guess like approaches to the thing. Like this, this feels like a very important step in in that, and I think I think this is one of those. This is probably one of those games that will come up a lot in academic texts. And I think it will also be one of those things that I think in 5 to 10, 20 years time, I think people will still reference back to and say, ah, this is a really, really good example of mediums critiquing themselves. It's, 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 and just to be clear though, like... It isn't like all, oh, I smell my own farts and aren't they amazing. It's a genuinely brilliant game at the same time. It's not, it mm. isn't, it, I, like, I don't want it to be this, like, you know, he gets a lot of stick, bless him, but he sort of deserves it. It, it isn't this, like, Jonathan Blow-esque, like, how clever and arty is this? Isn't this so t- intelligent? It is also just really, really good, like, and it's well worth playing. What can I play it on? You can play it on. Um, I would recommend, personally, I had a very good time playing it on my Steam Deck. Yes. Um, But uh, playing it on PC, as in a standard desktop PC, and I know you've just got a a nice new one of those, Chris. Yes, Sam and I have been playing Sea of Thieves on it. There we are. Um, uh, That is where you probably want to play it. Um, Like, it is... It, it, it like I use the trackpad for example with inscription. Okay. Um, it's it's yeah it's 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 brilliant. Like um, and you can probably you can probably easily get a Daniel Mullins bundle of the Hex Pony Island and inscription on Steam whenever there's a sale on. Yeah, I might have to check this out. Thank you very much. So talking of auteurs, um, Kojima has been listening. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's deal with the elephant in the room, shall we? We sit. I mean, <laughs> that was a surprisingly good. I'm very good at my elephant noises, and it's the second time that Dan has done an elephant noise, and Pete, you've gone. That's a surprisingly good elephant. I look noise. forward to saying it a third time. So who who highlighted this? This because obviously you know we're far too cool and um, forward thinking to. Uh... Yeah. So this came from a long time listener. Kevin Evans, who's listened to us, believe it or not, since the beginning. Oh, my word. Hello, Kevin. Thank you so I'm much. I'm so sorry. Oh, Kevin, I'm so sorry. that. <laughs> thank you for... Thank you for putting up with for us. staying with us. Yes. There were some, there were some rough years in there. Yeah. There were. And um, I believe they contacted us via email to recommend the series Severance to us. That's how Ooh. long mm-hmm. um, they've been with us. So thank you. Wow. I, okay, 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 Kevin, I, I agree. I've been sitting on that one for, for a long, long time. When season two comes out, I absolutely want to talk about it. Nice. But I, I don't want to sidetrack from the, the Kojima okay. stuff. No, please okay, not. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's deal with it. But like they recommended a game to us that sounds right up my street and right up your street, Sam. You're probably already aware of it. That's on Game Pass at the moment, Pentiment, which is a 2D murder mystery game. Yes. Yeah, I, I come across, I saw trailers of it um, set in a medieval Europe. It looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Pete, I think you would also like this. Okay. Based All on right. that game, I can't remember what it is, the one you spoke about, which looked like, um, like it was animated by Terry Gillingham. Yes, The Procession to Calvary. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it, I don't know why it just made me think of that, probably because of the time period or anything. But thank you, Kevin, for reminding us of that. But the elephant in the room, Hideo Kojima. Yes. I, I must confess, I don't know what this is. Okay. What's it called? Well, it's a, it's a sequel okay. to Death Stranding. Okay. Called Death Stranding 2. Yep. On the beach. Mm. Uh, I see. I mean, there's... I mean, there's only really one place that that tagline he's going to have got that from. Yeah. yeah. I had now. no idea that was the name, the subtitle for Death Stranding 2. I still not played the first one, even though everyone tells me to play it. Sam, you've told me to play it. Yeah. Uh, a colleague at work has told me to play it because he knows I've been to like walking yeah. sim kind of stuff and space and landscape and stuff. Still not played it. Um, part of it is because I was felt slightly burnt by MGS5. Uh, but um, I am going to definitely go into that. And also, I think I was a little bit spooked out by the, some of the trailers for Death Stranding. And I wasn't looking forward to being spooked out in a game at the moment. But now I am. So I will go back to it, definitely. <laughs> Good. Well, Kajiba, if you are listening, and we know you yeah. are. You you and Kevin. We want our money for stealing yeah. our tagline. Or, or you can put us in the game. Yes. Yeah, because everyone else gets to be in Death Stranding. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it, if it helps, we've all studied drama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A long time ago. Yeah. But yeah. So pop us in the game and we'll say no more. But if you are, if, if, if I'm, I'm speaking now to our third listener, if you want to get in touch, yes. like Kevin did and like Kojima will do. Yeah, um, to, to let us know of other infringements to our copyright. Staying in pod at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, Kevin used Instagram to contact us. Our handle at staying in pod, which is the same for lots of various different platforms out there. If you prefer to communicate with us via that, uh, feel free to do so. The gram is pretty much where it's happening. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you want to kind of like there's videos, up, there's pictures up there of us playing uh, Dutch Blitz recently. Nice. And- Thunder Road and Vendetta and Shifting Stones, that lovely game that Sam picked up on his sojourn to London. Mm-hmm. That's there as well. Um, no doubt, um, if you check on our Steam curation page, um, you'll find uh, a copy of Inscription up there, as well as the board games we've discussed on the BGG page as well. Yes. Right. Kojima. Kojima, yeah. See you on the beach. See you on the beach. See you on the beach. It's a bit more threatening now, isn't it? It is, isn't it?